Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This is Catherine MacDonald here announcing 3CR Radical Philosophy Program. It's on 8.55 on your AM dial. We have a fantastic philosophy program introducing us to women philosophers. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. This is Jenny McMahon. I'm an Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Adelaide. I visit Melbourne very regularly. In fact, I'm originally from Melbourne. And when I'm in Melbourne, I really enjoy listening to 3CR. Also, 30 years ago, I used to actually come on to 3CR as an art reviewer for a Saturday afternoon cultural program. So it's wonderful to know that 3CR is still thriving. And welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And today's program is going to be about, well, it's going to be about nothing. We're going to have an interview about nihilism. Hello, I'm Jana Thompson, and this is 3CR Community Radio on 855 on your dial. And this is Radical Philosophy. That's philosophy for everyone. And I'm speaking to Dr. Tracy Leonera about nihilism. Welcome to the program, Tracy. Thank you for having me, Beth. It's a pleasure. Now, what would your definition of nihilism be? Okay, um, like most philosophical concepts, of course, nihilism is a very complex idea that is used in a variety of ways in philosophy, history, and politics. But very simply put, nihilism refers to this phenomenon of meaninglessness, rejection, or disenchantment experienced by individuals in a certain culture. So Charles Taylor, one of the philosophers I work on, observes that across cultural contexts, there are people who, apart from their ordinary physical, mental, and emotional pains of hunger, sexual frustration, ill health, and loneliness, also suffer from intense existential meaninglessness. So this nihilistic experience of meaninglessness usually results from the breakdown of their traditional religious and social frameworks of belief and orientation. The collapse of belief or conviction can also bring about very strong feelings of violence, anger, apathy, or helplessness. This is because persons who suffer from the negative effects of nihilism are often inclined to think that nothing is worth living for. In short, for them, nothing not their belief in God, nor their ideologies, other people, not even themselves, could be considered as important enough to value. And we find a lot of great illustrations of nihilism in literature. Albert Camus, famous for the works The Stranger, The Plague, and the essay The Myth of Sisyphus, 
has portrayed characters questioning what they acknowledge as their intrinsically meaningless existence in different circumstances. A more contemporary example is David Foster Wallace's Infinite Chest, a novel which centers on our fascination with distractions. So lives saturated by addictive modern entertainment seem to be experiencing an increase in feelings of disinterest boredom, angst, and loneliness. And all these could be taken as signs of nihilism. So in my most recent work, I draw on a variety of contributions by contemporary social and political philosophers to tackle the question of nihilism. In particular, I focus on the work of the American pragmatist Richard Rorty and offer what I hope to be an original interpretation of nihilism. So what was it originally that inspired your interest in nihilism? Huh. It wasn't so much an interest in nihilism, but more my curiosity about the various sources of human meaning and their power and legitimacy. So Max Faber, a German sociologist, once described himself as being religiously unmusical, that he was someone who had difficulty resonating with the ways of traditional religion. Now, I'm from the Philippines, a country I love and a country known for its deeply rooted Catholic tradition. And anyone who has ever been raised in a Catholic environment knows that religion permeates almost every element of their social context. And this can be a source of conflict when you're a 15-year-old girl and you're simply religiously unmusical. So that's when I turned to philosophy. I found the language of philosophy liberating. Plato, Friedrich Nietzsche, Richard Rorty, Hannah Arendt, and many others were such great articulators of original, powerful ideas, and I loved reading and writing about them. So in short, doing philosophy initially started as an act of rebellion from my end, But today I'm doing philosophy because the discipline empowers people to inquire about themselves and the world in important ways. Many philosophical questions deal with the problem of meaning, including the experience of a lack or loss of human meaning. And that's how my research rounds back up to the problem of nihilism. Well, that's really interesting how you've said the the language of philosophy. I haven't actually heard it put that way before, but I can really relate to that. It's, it is like a different oh, language. Great. Oh, I'm sure, um, I'm sure this is something like that's eye-opening for a lot of um, students who are encountering philosophy at the same time and veterans of philosophy like you and the people, the women philosophers that you've um, interviewed, they are speaking such an empowering, empowering language and that's why they matter. Mm, Yeah, they definitely are. So is there a connection between the problems of modernity and nihilism? That's a very good question. And the answer is yes, a connection exists between them. So Taylor, again, raises a very interesting insight about this. His question was, why was it virtually impossible not to believe in God in, say, the 1500s in our Western society? Well, in 2000, many of us find this not only easy, but even escapable. So essentially, a radical shift in context has occurred. In the past, God served as the guarantor of truth, human meaning, and salvation. 
the pertinent questions to ask were, what is the nature of God, and is God good or evil? However, in the modern world, while religious belief remains important for many of us moderns, it has ceased to be the only, following William James, the live force and momentous option in human life. So the question is, why did this radical shift happen? So a significant part of the story of modernity is the West's gradual uncoupling from religion. And we can recall the familiar Nietzschean story um, that modernity was heralded by the rise of science and enlightenment humanism. And Nietzsche, famous for the slogan, God is dead, understood modernity as a time that marked a great change in our fundamental structures of human meaning. We learned that the natural world and human morality were things that we could explain using science and reason. The omnipresent, omniscient, and benevolent divine being was dislodged from its central place in the human consciousness. Nietzsche even adds that the belief in God is a symptom of weakness, escapism, and even laziness. So in this case, Nietzsche is someone you could call a happy nihilist, while he rejects the idea of ultimate foundations and recognizes the pure contingency and meaninglessness of human life. He celebrates nihilism. He thinks that we can creatively affirm our human freedom and formulate new secular humanistic values as a result of God's death. However, this positive conception of nihilism isn't the position taken by other thinkers, especially not the philosophers I deal with in my work. Nihilism, according to Charles Taylor, Hubert Dreyfus, and Sean Kelly, has actually dealt a negative and corrosive blow to our self-conception. This is because nihilism is tied to an anthropocentric view about meaning, and for them there is something intrinsically troubling about taking this man-centered position. So when we make human welfare and ambition our most important considerations, then we lose access to other and perhaps even richer sources of human meaning. Right now, there's been some recent exchanges between them, hasn't there? Yes, um, and those exchanges are some of the things I talk about um, in my work. So in my research, I, po- I point out that Charles Taylor, Hubert Dreyfus, and Sean Kelly share two similarities in their works. The first claim is that nihilism is destructive. So Taylor cites that nihilism can undermine all possible horizons of significance in modernity. Dreyfus and Kelly point out that human freedom is not all it's cracked up to be. Instead of happily living the way we like, bearing full responsibility for our choices could also turn out to be a terrifying burden. It resonates in that familiar idea that if a person fails or is unhappy in her life or her choices, then it's her fault. There's no deeper or higher consolation to soothe this failure of existence. And this is how nihilism leads to emptiness and despair and results into a life that lacks the gravity of deep experience and unwavering commitment. So that's the first similarity. The second similarity is that an adequate response to nihilism requires the participation of a non-human power. And this is a power traditionally articulated through the concept of the sacred. And Taylor, 
thinks that the sacred is manifested in two ways. The first is something um, he talks about in his theory of expressivism. So for Taylor, we can find non-random and non-subjective meanings in nature or in music or in poetry in what he calls the subtler languages, like the writings of Wordsworth or Durkheim's sociality of the sacred. The second way to the sacred is through a renewed theism. So Taylor has this idea that what is ultimately sacred can only be transcendent, and what is ultimately transcendent could only be God. And this remains inescapable for many of us. And he thinks that instead of rejecting God and embracing secularism, we actually need a redefinition and a re-examination of God's role in modernity. So that's his view. Dreyfus and Kelly's idea is a little different. So they have this concept of a modern Homeric polytheism, and it's an invitation to lure back the gods. So they point out in ancient Greece, human excellences were represented by Aphrodite's erotic world through Helen, or Arige's ferociousness through Achilles, or Athena's cunning through Odysseus. So this ancient climate of wonder and multiple greatnesses, it needs to be adapted to the modern world since it can make us more receptive to the sacred. And for them, the sacred reveals itself in heroic, skillful, creative, and awe-inspiring events. Dreyfus and Kelly point out that watching a great football game, something that a lot of Australians will definitely understand, um, hearing Martin Luther King's speech, or seeing Roger Federer play tennis, these are all instances in which the sacred manifests itself as a shared and collective experience. So for them to ward off nihilism, to ward off meaninglessness, our task is to learn to be in sync with these contemporary collective sacred events. And how does Richard Rorty contribute to the conversation by considering his reflections on egotism? Okay, first it's interesting to note here that Rorty is probably the last person you'd think can resolve the issue of nihilism. Richard Rorty has a reputation in philosophy of being irreligious, anti-foundational, and anti-transcendent. And also, unlike Taylor, Travis, and Kelly, he celebrates the Nietzschean turn. So for him, nihilism is not the real problem. The real problem is egotism. So the move I make in my work is to consider the link between egotism and nihilism. I argue that Rorty's writings, which offer an antidote to egotism, could reveal a way to undercut or prevent nihilism. So... I guess the next question is, what's egotism? And egotists, for Rorty, usually think of themselves as intellectually, morally, and spiritually sufficient. For egotists, the ideals of holiness, which you usually find in religion, and correctness, which is found in philosophy and scientism, these egotists think that these ideals are more important than simply moral sensitivity and moral kindness. And for this reason, egotists can also be dangerous. The best example I can think of so far is Haron Monis, 
was responsible for the Sydney siege in December 2014, he took it upon himself to single-handedly terrorize Australia in the name of his egotistic beliefs. And Rorty's antidote is to develop strategies to overcome egotism. Some of his suggestions include the notions of self-creation and solidarity, which in my reading both involve the effort of self-enlargement to attain realization of the self and to build enriching relationships with other people. I discuss these strategies in greater detail in my most recent publication, which will come out soon in the journal Philosophy and Social Criticism. But to go back to the question, so how is egotism connected to nihilism? So my claim is that egotism precedes nihilism. And at first, this sounds strange, since an egotist does not feel deprived of meaning like the nihilist. He's supposed to be self-sufficient by definition. But consider this. Egotistic belief is usually substantiated by our inherited metaphysical frameworks of religion and science. So if the basis of our authority collapses, nihilism ensues. Taylor, Dreyfus, and Kelly actually recognized the effects of egotism turning into nihilism in their works. The first of these effects is despair. When every human being is a competitor for meaning, life takes on a degraded, absurd, and trivialized form. The second effect is violence which happens when an egotist becomes more attached to egotism to fight nihilism. A great example is, in literature again, Captain Ahab in Herman Melville's novel Moby Dick, where Ahab serves as the egotist, and Moby Dick is the great, faceless, terrible god. Dreyfus and Kelly argue that Ahab's pursuit can be understood as a story of a misguided passion for God, and it ends badly for the egotist as Ahab dies without any resolution to the story. So in short, while Taylor, Dreyfus, and Kelly recognize that egotism precedes nihilism, they don't really offer redemptive paths to address it in their accounts. And in my view, Rorty makes two important contributions. First, he shows us a way to nip egotism in the bud by transforming self-will from self-completion to self-enlargement. Second, he also attempts to deal with secular modernity using its own humanist, non-religious, non-sacred terms. Right, you've done quite a bit of research in this area. Now, do you have any future study plans within the same, within the area of nihilism? Definitely. I just think there's so much more to say about the topic, so I hope I can turn this work on Warty, Taylor, Dreyfus, and Kelly into a book. Um, But at the same time, I also want to work on philosophy and the Filipino culture, um, beginning with the concept of hope, because I think it does have deep ties to nihilism and religion, and that's a good opportunity for me. Yeah, it it certainly is. So what is the situation at the moment in the Philippines with the study of philosophy? Oh, um, it's a very interesting climate. It's it's interesting because it's very different to Australia. So a lot of people doing philosophy in the Philippines often do philosophy in Catholic universities. So when I was doing my BA and my master's, most of my classmates came from seminaries and I have I now have good friends who are priests as well 
Um, so a lot of our training meant a lot of exposure to philosophy of religion. And I just thought that doing work on nihilism and philosophy of religion, but approaching it from a more contemporary, secular standpoint was an interesting move. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great, actually. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Oh, it's wonderful, Beth. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I've been speaking to Dr. Tracy Leonera about nihilism. I'm Kathy Weiss, and this is Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio. And that's the end of our interview today, but we're going to go out with a song called Nothing by the Primitive Calculators. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, stay tuned for Are You Looking at Me?